Well, good morning once again, and well done for being with us at Church Online this morning. I want to say a very special welcome to the mothers who are joining us this morning. Happy Mother's Day. I trust the two blokes at the start of the service to forget in their introduction to wish the mothers a happy day on Mother's Day. I'm sorry about that. I've been thinking a bit about what the next few weeks and the next few months are going to look like. I wonder if you've been doing a similar thing. You see, for me, the last few weeks while I've been at home, well, that's given me lots of opportunities to kind of reevaluate and think through what's really important to me. That's worked itself out in this way. As a family, we've spent much more time together. And I've got to say, that's been mostly good, although there have been a few moments that I'm not in a hurry to relive. I wonder if you've also been kind of re-evaluating life. Perhaps over the last few weeks, your walk with God has been going really well. Maybe that's because you've had more time than normal to pray and read and think. And if that's your situation, you might be a little bit worried about getting back into the usual rhythm of life. Of course, it could be the other way around. Maybe for you, being at home has been destructive, perhaps because of the limited routines. You've you've found yourself really easily distracted. Either way, my hunch is that you've spent some time reflecting on this question. Where to from here? As I answer that question myself, I've been thinking through my own walk with God. I should say, if you haven't had a chance to do that recently, I'd encourage you to put some time aside and just have a think about how you're going in your walk with God. Now, I'm not usually one to make New Year's resolutions, but I have been thinking a little bit about post-corona resolutions. But there is a danger, isn't there, in making resolutions? That The danger is that we'd fail in those resolutions, that despite being determined when we make them, a a few short weeks later we find ourselves slipping back to square one. Well, well, today as we look at Ephesians chapter 2, I hope that you're really encouraged by what we read, particularly if you're in the process of re-evaluating your walk with God. Because there's some great encouragement in Ephesians chapter 2, In a nutshell, this is what I think it says. It's through God's power and God's strength, which is really mighty and big, it's that power that's at work in us that saves us. It's God's power and his strength that's at work in us, changing us to be like Jesus. And all of this is a gift of grace. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. It simply comes to God from his kindness and love. And not only has it saved us in the past, but we also see in Ephesians 2 that God is a God who has prepared good things for us to do in the future. I hope this week is an encouragement for you as you set your eyes ahead to the next few weeks or the next few months. If you've got your Bibles nearby today, I'd encourage you to open them up to the letter to the Ephesian church. If it's helpful for you, there is an outline for today's talk in the notes section tab, which you'll find on your screens. It's just above the chat box. Today, we're going to spend 
the next few minutes, minutes really focusing in on verses 1 to 10 of chapter 2. Mike and his kids' talks already helped us through the second half of the chapter. And there are some really great Bible study questions that are available for you if you'd like to spend a bit of time working through verses 11 to 22. You can do that in your own time in the coming week. We're going to start our time today by looking at the reality of what we are without God. And we see that in verses 1 to 3 of Ephesians chapter 2. Let me read those three verses to you as we get going this morning. This is what it says, Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. I wonder what you think Paul means when he says to his readers, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. I mean, surely his readers were, were biologically alive in the sense that they had a pulse and were breathing. So in what sense then can Paul call them dead? Perhaps Paul is using a, a figure of speech here. Now, for example, if, if someone really offends you, you might cut yourself off from them permanently and you might refer to them as being dead to you. I think what you mean when you say that is that you're enforcing alienation. And in a sense, I think Paul does mean this in these verses and he'll say a similar thing in chapter 4, verse 18. Our sin alienates us from God. He could also be speaking here in a, in a metaphorical sense. Perhaps he means that we're dead as in we're helpless. I mean, have you ever heard of a dead person helping themselves? Can a dead person, for example, get up and help themselves to life-saving medication? No, of course not. That's inconceivable. So perhaps we are dead in the sense of being in a, in a helpless predicament. Paul may also be saying to his readers, that they're dead in the sense that death awaits them. See, the end result of those who live in transgressions and sin is ultimately death. That's their destination, death. I think all of these things are true and helpful. But perhaps the best way to understand what's going on in this passage is to see this as spiritual death. That means that we can read these verses not just as a metaphor or a figure of speech, but as reality. And that reality is this, that without Jesus, all of us are spiritually dead, stuck in our transgressions and sins, and therefore heading towards death, permanent death, and alienation from God. I want you to see in this passage that Paul goes on further to say that we're not only dead in our transgressions and sins, but without Jesus, we're also following the wrong master. Paul lists two masters that we might be following. They're not mutually exclusive. Those masters are the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. I suspect that all of us have succumbed at some point to the mastery of the ways of the world. That might look like chasing after wealth or power or influence. 
It could be about taking advice and guidance or, or getting a moral code from our surrounding culture. The result of living that way is the gratification of fleshy desires and thoughts. The other master described here is described as the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Now, it's not really done so much today, is it, to speak of satanic forces or of Satan? And yet, I think that's what's on view here in this letter. The ruler of the kingdom of the air is, I think, Satan. And so Ephesians is helping us to see that we live in a world in which spiritual battles are real. And so far, this chapter's painted a pretty bleak picture for us, hasn't it? Of what life without Jesus is like. Now, at this point, you might be feeling pretty crushed, pretty down. And if you're joining us at church online today because someone's invited you to come along and see what church is like, this probably all sounds very confronting and, and very harsh. And at one level it is. See, Paul's painting a terrible picture of what life without God is like. But can you see that Paul's also not singling anyone out? Paul's including himself in this. He's describing the plight of all of humanity without God. So what does this mean? Well, if Paul's got this right, if we all really are spiritually dead, if we're all really following the wrong master, if, if destiny is our wrath, then something big is going to have to happen to change this. You know, think of like an oil tanker cruising through an ocean. It takes a powerful engine running in reverse to slow that oil tanker or to change its direction or course. And that's what I think makes Ephesians so encouraging. Because there is something enormous at work in our lives here. It's a great power, a power that is large enough and powerful enough to reverse our situation. And that power is the power of God. Power that will make a dead person alive. I introduced myself earlier by telling you my name, Carl, if you missed it. But if we haven't met before, you probably don't know that I'm a father of four children. The youngest is Hamish, Mr. Mish we call him. And he's at that age when he'll come home from kindy and he'll ask me things like this. He'll say things like, hey dad, are you stronger than Henry's dad? Because I told Henry that my dad's stronger than his dad. You might remember doing a similar thing. Now, despite what Hamish may think, I'm not a particularly strong man. I've never entered, let alone won, a strongest man competition. But let me tell you about Eddie Hall. He really is a strong man. In fact, in 2017, he was crowned the world's strongest man. Just to fill the picture in for you, if you don't know Eddie, he's 190 centimetres tall and he weighs 186 kilos. But what makes Eddie even more famous is that up until this week, he held the record for the person who lifted the most weight ever, 500 kilograms. That's right on the limit of what is humanly possible. In fact, for Eddie, even as strong as he is, lifting 500 kilos, it nearly killed him. An article in the Euro News, he speaks about what happens straight after lifting this 500 kilogram weight. He says, I woke up in a massive pool of blood. I had blood coming out of my nose, out of my tear ducts, out of my ears. His doctors told him that he'd burst blood vessels in his brain. He says, his heart rate was through the roof. My blood pressure was unreadable. 
I couldn't see. I lost my vision for a few hours and for about two weeks, I forgot my kids' names. <laughs> Lifting 500 kilos, it's an impressive feat and yet it's right also on the edge of what's humanly possible. But then when you think about it, 500 kilos is actually not that much, is it? I mean, your car, it probably weighs three to four times that. And that means that even the strongest human, well, they can only lift like a third of a car. Uh, Put that way, people really aren't that powerful, are we? We're limited in power, especially when it comes to lifting things. We're limited in power when it comes to sticking to resolutions also, aren't we? Limited in power when it comes to changing the way that we live. But I want to show you this morning that God is very different. God created the world by speaking. That means that his power is just at another level altogether. He has the power to make a person who was dead alive again. That sort of power, that's in another league. That sort of power belongs to God alone. That is the power of God that's on display in Ephesians. In chapter 1, it's displayed in the raising of Jesus from the dead. And in chapter 2, it's shown in raising us from the dead. Then have a look with me at verses 4 to 7 of Ephesians chapter 2. This is what it says. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. These are glorious verses, aren't they? And I think they shine that little bit brighter because of the contrast with verses 1 to 3. I hope you can see today that these are words of hope and life and that they demonstrate the great power of God. You see, for those of us who call Jesus Lord, here's what God has done. Despite being dead, God, out of his great love for you, made you alive. You were enslaved by the world, but God has redeemed you. You are following the ruler of the air, but God has stepped in so that you can worship him. And so if you're worried about being able to stick to these new resolutions you might be making, I want you to see how much you were involved in this and the contrast with how much God was involved. See, you were dead, and no dead person's ever going to get up and fix their own situation, but God made you alive. You were trapped like a slave. You were powerless, but God raised you up and and he put you in a position of honour and power. So can you see the power of God at work here? This is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. In fact, it's our union and our togetherness with Jesus that I think makes all of this possible. If you've got your Bibles there, you might like to flick back to chapter 1 and just have a look at verses 19 and 20. There you'll see the power of God displayed in the raising of Jesus from the dead and the seating of him in the heavenly realms and the giving of him dominion and authority. In chapter 2, that same power is at work in us, raising us from the dead and seating us with Jesus. 
we've been made alive with Christ. We see that in verse 5 of chapter 2. We've been raised up with Christ. We see that in verse 6. And also in verse 6, we've been seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Can you see God's power here working itself out in your life just as it was applied to Jesus' life in chapter 1? It's amazing, isn't it? And so you might wonder why. Why would God do all of this? Why would he take us who are dead and make us alive? I think there's two answers to that question in this passage. Firstly, the answer is that, well, that's what God is like. And secondly, I want us to see that because it's because God's actions today will be praiseworthy in the age to come. See what God's like? I wonder if you, you notice these words in the passage that I just read. Mercy, love and kindness. See, Paul tells us that God has a great love for us. It's there in verse 4, a great love. It's not really spelt out here, but that love was great enough that he'd sacrifice his one and only son for us. Not only does God love us, but he's also merciful and he's kind. But perhaps most importantly, he's gracious. And it seems that his grace is particularly what's on view here. See what it says in verse 7? In order, in other words, God's done these things, making us alive, raising us up, seating us with Jesus, in order... That in the coming ages, the whole universe, the earth and the heavenly realms would see the incomparable riches of God's grace. And I take it that would cause heaven and earth to praise God for his graciousness. Just think about what grace is for a moment. See, in his mercy, God has chosen to love us when we deserved punishment. That's what mercy means. But in his grace... He's given us a gift that we neither deserve nor could we earn. And we see this so clearly in the most famous verse in Ephesians Ephesians chapter 2. That's verse 8. This is what it says. For it is by grace you've been saved, through faith. And, And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. See, we do nothing to add to our salvation. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. Our salvation is dependent upon God's power and his grace. It's a gift given. And therefore, there's never a place in the Christian life for pride, is there? Never a place for us to look at those who don't know Jesus with with arrogance or superiority. We're saved simply because God is gracious. We don't deserve it and we couldn't earn it. Strong men like Eddie Hall, they might flex their muscles in front of the camera. I think that's what the world's strongest man competition is all about. But God's strength, well, that takes those who are dead and it raises them to life and it seats them in the heavenly realms and he does it Because he's a gracious God. If you're joining us at church online today because a friend suggested it might be a good way to spend your Sunday morning, thank you so much for being with us. And if you're wondering what God is like, I hope today you've been able to see that the God of the Bible is a God of love and mercy and grace. 
But I hope you've also been able to see that this is a God of power. Power that can transform lives and and tip them right upside down. Perhaps at some point in your life you've thought, nah, God's not interested in me. Or or maybe, nah, there's no way that I'm good enough for God. Here we see a God who loves desperately and a God who's powerful enough to change you. He's worth taking another look at. Perhaps you already know God this morning. And perhaps the slowdown over the last few weeks or the last few months has given you opportunity to reevaluate what's important for you. I want you to see in these verses that God is powerful enough to keep changing you, to keep making you into the likeness of his son. After all, if you're a Christian, he took you from life to death through his power. Now, I'm sure the Christian life is also described as a battle and as, and as a race. And, and we'll see more of that in Ephesians over the next few weeks. Indeed, Paul will go on to encourage the church in Ephesus not to be like the others around, him, around them. See, Paul understands that the struggle in this life is real. He understands the pressures we face. He knows that pull and that temptation of sin. and He knows the ways of this world. But he wants us to see that God's powerful and that his power has saved us even when we were dead. And having done that, he's got good things planned for us to do as well. And we see that in verse 10 of chapter 2. It's a, it's a wonderfully encouraging verse, verse 10. It, it says this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Paul calls us God's handiwork. Another way of saying it might be to say that we're, we're God's work of art. Certainly we are what he's made us. In fact, you might even say he's remade us as a, as a new creation. You see, remade, we are now to live the way that we were intended to live. We're to live out the good works that God's prepared for us to do. That God in his great power has saved us. And God's also prepared in advance good works for us to do. That's giving our life some purpose, isn't it? Today, we've seen the power of God at work. It's a power that's incomparable. We've seen the power of God in taking those who were dead, spiritually dead, and making them alive. And God's done this because he's gracious and kind and merciful and because he loves us. And we've also seen that having been made alive, we're God's handiwork created to do good works. So if you're thinking about what lies ahead and, and how you might keep walking with Jesus, I hope you found some encouragement in chapter 2 of Ephesians. The power of God is at work in you. He's made you alive. He's seated you with Jesus and he's prepared good works for you to do. He's a God who's worthy of our praise. I'm going to praise him in a prayer right now. We join me as I pray? Almighty God, I pray that out of your glorious riches you may strengthen each one of us with your power through your spirit so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. I pray that you would help us to be established and rooted in your love and power so that we might grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. 
a love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.